last week, Roy gave an excellent overview of the Psalms, explaining it is not meant to be as poetry as we know it, but rather a well-written and well-thought-out prayer and worship song. Within the Psalms are prayers for deliverance from enemies, prayers for help in illness and persecution, prayers of divine majesty and justice. And all that is in the first ten Psalms. In many ways, the book of Psalms is like the opening of a Gideon's Bible, where you turn to Scripture when facing difficult situations, or a bereavement, or when you're afraid or lonely or in need of encouragement. They were written between 1,000 and 400 B.C. Yet the people of God have sung them in Israel's temples, in the synagogues, in the houses and catacombs of early Christianity, in cathedrals, in monasteries, in prisons, in jungles, and street corners, wherever they met to worship. They are Israel's and the church's first prayer book and first hymn book. They teach us about the world we live in, with all its glory and brokenness. They teach us about human condition, sometimes by mirroring our own. They teach us the language of prayer with all its words and cadences, its gladness, its mystery. They give us words when we have no words. But they also teach us about God is with us, especially when we are bewildered, confused, heartbroken even. I wonder though, were you aware that the Psalms also reflect situations and experiences seen elsewhere in Scripture? David's Psalms relate to his life experiences as recorded in the book of Samuel. Earlier we heard 1 Samuel 19, 1-11. But if you want to get a better understanding of David's situation, you need to read chapters 19-22. A brief synopsis would be that Saul was jealous of David and sought to kill him. David had been on the run. With Michal's help, he escaped and took refuge to Samuel. Here the Lord intervened supernaturally to keep him safe. But instead of taking the hint that his real security was in the Lord's care, David took to his heels again. Saul's son, Jonathan, could only confirm his father's enmity toward David David resumed his lovely, lonely travels, ending in Nob, then over to the border into Philistine Gath. Seriously, though, do read three chapters that I mentioned, 1 Samuel 19 to 22. To fully understand what is going on here. The Psalm 34 is divided into two parts, one of praise, the other of declaration. It reads as a beautiful picture of worship as we praise God and give attention to his word. Its 22 verses form an acrostic or alphabetical psalm, like Psalm 25 and Psalm 119. Each verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The first 10 verses are a song of praise that beckons us to come and worship God. Verses 11 to 22 are a sermon 
but exhorts us to hear God's instruction as we are taught what it means to fear the Lord. The inscription to the psalm tells us that it was composed by David, and it informs us of the event that inspired its writing. The inscription reads, Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abinelech, so that he drove him out, and he went away. David, you will remember, when he was younger, he killed a prominent soldier from Gath on the battlefield with God's help. His triumph over Goliath is recorded in 1 Samuel 17. This is where I hope you kept your Bibles open. The first three verses of the psalm are an invitation to call us to worship. In in verse 1, David expresses his own commitment to praise God. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. God is worthy of all praise, worthy of unending praise. David desires that God's praise be continually on his lips at all times, whether it be in enemy territory or in the courts of God's temple with his people. In verse 2, David calls upon the humble to hear him and rejoice with him as he lifts his praise. It says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. His words are good news to the humble, for those whom God has brought low, for those who see themselves in peril and needy of a way of escape. David knows where to point them to for hope and strength. In verse 3, he invites those who hear him to join his praise that God would be magnified. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. This psalm, like many of the psalms, begins as personal praise and then spreads as it is shared and joined by others. What was individual devotion is now sung by many as corporate worship. David is not content to praise God by himself for his deliverance. He wants the people of God to join him. He wants the Lord to be magnified. As we help and encourage others, to look to God and acknowledge God and praise him. As we share what God has done for us to encourage the hearts of others to look to him and trust in him, he is magnified. So we take what God is and what he has done and bring it close to others so they can see it and know it and rejoice in it. David wants to take the deliverance he has experienced by the grace and mercy of God and bring it close to the people of God so that they can see it and rejoice with him in an overflow of praise and thanksgiving. In the next four verses, David explains the reasons for his praise 
as he recalls his escape from Gath and King Achish. He gives us his testimony or witness of the event. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant so that your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalm 34, verse 4 to 7. It is interesting to see that David does not give any specifics about himself, except to refer to himself as a poor man. The word he uses here for poor means afflicted, humbled, tamed even. It's the same word he used in verse 2, translated as humble. My soul boasts in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. The word is also found in Isaiah 66, verse 2. All these things my hand has made, and so these things come to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. David has good news for the humble, the afflicted, because he himself faced affliction, and he has seen the power of God come to his help. David does not point to his own cleverness or creativity as a reason why he was able to get away. He does not say, I came up with this brilliant plan to pretend madness, and it worked. The king drove me away. I was able to outsmart the court of the Philistines. No. He says he is poor. He knows that his deliverance was by the mercy and power of God alone. David cried out to God, and God was pleased to deliver him. And for David, this is good news. News so good that he can't keep it to himself. This is the news that he must proclaim to the joy of all others, that God has humbled and is now humbling. David continues his invitation in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his holy ones. For those who fear him have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. As one who had personally known the saving power and deliverance of God, David gives a wide open, wide open invitation to all who would hear him. Taste that the Lord is good. You see, taste and see is an invitation to a personal experience, not a glance or a glimpse from far away, <coughs> but a call to come close and to drink, to know God intimately and thoroughly, <coughs> Excuse me. to be fully satisfied in Him. He couples this invitation of come taste and see in verse 8, with an appeal in verse 9 to fear the Lord. In Gath, 
David was faring man as he went before King Achish, and he did not want to be recognized. The one who stood up to Goliath as a young person was now pretending madness in the courts of the enemy. And though David thought he had a plan, in truth there was no one who could blind the king's eyes as to who he was except God alone. David had no one to fear but God. The law of God makes it plain. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. When Israel was preparing to face the enemy, crossing the Jordan and entering into the promised land, God told them, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. This is the lesson David learned firsthand. God came to his help, and David understands, and as he reflects in this psalm, there is none to fear but the Lord. Those who fear the Lord lack no good. Thing. And so David desires that all learn this important lesson. He finished this, this psalm with a sermon that he introduces in verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. David now takes the position of a school teacher and invites the children of Israel to come and hear him. Now there are two main points in this message. Fearing the Lord sets us, sets us on the path of goodness and peace. Which of you desires life and covets many days to enjoy good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the starting place if we are to find peace and reconciliation with God. These verses contrast two ways, one that leads to evil and the other to good. One path will ultimately lead you to self-deception and death. The other will lead you and point you to righteousness and ultimately bring you to God both in word and in deed, we are to pursue good. All that God has revealed in his word that is pleasing to him. And turn away from evil. All that God has revealed in his word that is contrary to him and at hatred with him. We must disown sin and deceit. We must pursue peace and holiness. It is a contrast that has been given at the beginning of the Psalter. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 6 says, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. For their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield fruit in its season 
and the leaves do not wither, and all they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the way of the wicked will perish. You see, the fear of the Lord sets us on the, this right path, a path that will turn us away from sin and towards what is pleasing to God. It will turn us from scoffing at God to delighting in his word. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to the cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off remembrance of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Verses 15 and 18. As in point one, there is a comparison between the righteous who seek what is good and the wicked who do evil. God watches over the righteous, those who are his, but he is against those who do evil. He is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The word for crushed means beaten out or pulverized. It describes the effect God's truth has on our spirit as we are convicted and confronted with our sin. It's the same word as found in Isaiah 57, verse 15, translated as contrite. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. It is the crushed who are humbled and taught the fear of the Lord. It is the broken who are made whole and made fit for the presence of the Lord. David learns this lesson again later in life when he writes the words of Psalm 51 following another attempt to take matters into his own hands. He says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. As God teaches us and shepherds us, he humbles us and breaks us. He makes plain the way that is right and the way that is evil. And God does this through his word. He takes his truth and shapes us on the anvil of his will. Listen to these words of the prophet Jeremiah. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Jeremiah 23. Listen to what David is teaching as through his sermon in Psalm 34. Learning to fear the Lord and live in the light of his word does not mean that we will always be led into easy paths. 
that we will be free from trials or difficulties, that the way will be smooth. David confesses in the first half of Psalm 34, verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them from them all. He keeps their bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the promise is that God will bring us through them, that he will use them for our good and his glory. Those who follow the Lord and fear him can find blessing in affliction. You see, they bring us to prayer as we set our heart on seeking God. They bring us God's care and comfort as God is near us in affliction. They can bring us joy as God keeps us and delivers us. If you belong to God, there is nothing he can and won't use to bring you closer to himself. God enjoys showing himself strong on behalf of his people. He is a God of salvation and deliverance. The joy of God's deliverance is not so much from temporary trials and hardships, but God can and does bring us relief from some of our hardships in this life. Our greatest joy is found as God uses our brokenness and afflictions to deliver us from the snares of the world from getting tangled and snared and complacent in its sin and darkness. We can rejoice even in times of trouble because God uses our trouble to point us to salvation. We feel our need. We sense our weakness. We know our frailty and depravity. And so the good news that God has given us salvation in his Son is all the sweeter. This good news to the humble is our God saved. He has sent his Son that we might have life. Christ suffered and died that we might be rescued, redeemed, and brought near to God. In Isaiah 53, Jesus is described as a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. He was crushed and bruised that we might be saved. We have hope today because we have a Savior who humbled himself and made himself poor that we may have eternal life. As David sings, let the humble hear and be glad. Fear the Lord, all you saints. You see, when you fear God, there is nothing more to fear. God reigns and has power over our life and death. He has made all things for his glory. Trust him. Rest in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. God's goodness is deep and rich and satisfying. It's not something you can fully appreciate at a distance or in theory. It is something you must delve into.
world doesn't want you to see and be satisfied with Christ from afar off. To just know something about him, but not to embrace him. To regularly attend church that exalts him and proclaims him, but never come to him yourself. He desires that you come to him and love him and worship him. If you've not tasted that the Lord is good, my prayer is that you will look to Christ and find him to be all your need. And if you are trusting in the Lord, my prayer is the same, that you will yet look again to Christ and know him to be all you need, all satisfied, the giver of every good thing. Amen.